everyone enjoying this. to discuss the Wall Street Journal opinion article, To Be Young and Pessimistic in America. This is by Abigail Schreier. Moral panic about the young is at least as old as the trial of Socrates. So let's resist catastrophic thinking about Generation Z and begin with good news. The generation born between 1995 and 2012 is far more risk-averse and more physically safe than its elders. It is more tolerant of other races and sexual orientations. Most surprising in the early months of the pandemic lockdowns that often took a toll in mental health, this generation managed to show an improvement. In a survey of 8th, 10th, and 12th graders conducted in May through July 2020 by the Institute for Family Studies and the Wheatley Institution, only 17% reported feeling depressed while school was in session and 20% while it was out for the summer, compared with 27% in a similar survey during the school year in 2018. Loneliness declined to 22% with school in session, and 27% in the summer from 29% in 2018. Unhappiness and, and dissatisfaction with life rose, but not as sharply. Why? Two reasons, says the study's lead author, uh, Jean Twenge or maybe Jean Twenge, I don't know, an academic psychologist who specializes in iGen, a term she coined for the first generation to grow up amid ubiquitous iPhones. First, without commuting and with few extracurricular activities, they slept more. Second, spending more time with their families was good for them. Forced to stay home, quarantined around the dining room table with parents and siblings, their time online held steady and the added in-person time conferred significant mental health benefits. Yet this improvement proceeds from a low base. Generation Z exhibits higher rates of suicide and depression since studies began in 1950, and far higher rates of general pessimism than any generation dating to 1960. Um, between 2005 and 2017, rates of major depression increased 52% in adolescents and 63% in young adults, which is anyone between 18 and 25. The sharpest increases in suicide rates in major depression were for teen girls, um, let's see some detail about that. More likely than, ge than previous generations to see the world as an unfair place, Gen Z represents a significant departure from millennials, whom Ms. Twenge describes as very optimistic and self-confident. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Whereas millennials have high expectations, Gen Z is just a much more pe pessimistic generation, and that was true before the pandemic. So what are they pessimistic about? Uh, everything, she says. <laughs> At their own prospects, prospects of the world. And you have to ask, what causes what? Is it because the world is so bad, that's why they're depressed? Or do they see the world as bad because they're depressed? Some more bullshit, I'll skip past that talking about this woman's book. One reason for the dramatic drop in hopefulness between millennials and Generation Z may be the different generations that reared them. Boomer parents brought up millennials telling them, you can be whatever you want to be, you're special, and they believed it, so that had some benefits. Uh, Gen Z received your special messages from their Generation X parents too. Indeed, more than any prior generation of American parents, Gen X set out to deliberately raise happy kids. 
but there was also a shift in, par in parenting from encouragement to fear. As parents' anxiety about the world rose, they seemed to have passed the feeling down. Oh, this is the good part. Miss Twenje says what drove the parents' anxiety is a bit of a mystery. Well, I would say, like, from what they're talking about, it kind of does make sense in that, like, last, like, couple generations were raised to not be allowed to do a lot of things or with less autonomy, I think, uh, and a lot more control based on fear of, like, crime and abductions when there's no reality of that changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it has changed. It's it's gotten less common. Yeah, yeah. But like, in in the popular mind, it seems to be like most more parents seem to be much more cautious than uh, previous generations. Is my understanding. Anyway. I don't know the evidence for that. But. Yeah, uh, Miss Twenje is convinced uh, that time online, especially on social media, and the closely related decline of in-person socializing account for today's teens' high rates of anxiety, depression, and self-harm. She has called Generation Z the loneliest generation on record. You know, I buy that. But the I think what's just really not being addressed here is the clear economic issues. Yeah. And the, like, uncertainty and the political upheaval, yeah. <laughs> which um, they completely ignore for most of this article, which is insane to me. This was interesting. Online social life may not bring the physical perils of drunk driving or date rape, but it seems to do real psychological harm to young people. They're in this world where you have to be on social media, yet being on social media can be really negative, uh, Ms. Twenche says. In an instant, they can be permanently banned or humiliated or exposed in front of thousands or even millions of strangers. I think this idea that everything can potentially be public has had an enormous effect, she says. Young people are very, very cautious. I think it's also one of the reasons why they're more mentally vulnerable. It's because they feel like they're walking on eggshells all the time. She urges me to imagine life as a teenager today. Try to put yourself in the shoes of someone who can't remember a time before the smartphone, can't remember a time before social media, can't remember a time when it was perfectly normal for 16 or 17 year olds to go drive around by themselves and hang out and have fun. It makes sense that they might not be particularly happy. Members of Gen Z are far less likely to date, obtain a driver's license, hold down a job, or hang out with friends in person than millennials were at the same age. High school seniors in 2015 were going out less often than 8th graders did as recently as 2009, and 2016 seniors spent an hour a day less on in-person social interaction than those of the 1980s. Uh, she interprets this, along with Gen Z's lower rates of sexual experimentation and alcohol use, as a reluctance to embrace adult privileges and responsibilities. Uh, I question that, but uh, that includes love. Long warned by parents and teachers about the risks of sexual assault and disease, they're leery of any distraction that might throw them off a professional course, and even catching feelings. Obviously, some of them are going to get married, Miss Twenge says, but the emphasis placed on getting married and having children has definitely decreased. I just, like, I, I'm really wondering how they're not addressing the economic issues that might be causing yeah, this. I mean, I, I, I think they're kind of like, I don't know whether this person is taking it as a given that that's a thing or they're kind of dancing around it. Because it seems like when they're talking about, like, you know, you don't want to be distracted from your professional life, like that, the implication is that, like, it's highly competitive 
you know, and they fall off that track, they're kind of offset, they're kind of screwed, but they don't like explicitly mm-hmm. spell it out. So that's kind of, I'm kind of curious who this I person's like, perspective is. Yeah, I'm, it, it seems really odd to be like, yeah, these children are incredibly stressed out uh, about their futures and uh, don't feel like they have time for anything other than building their resume, you know, as soon as they hit 13 mm-hmm. years old. Um, but it's probably just because they spend too much time online, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't necessarily see if I hear that like because of that, but I can definitely, I'm not sure which way. They, I'm, just, I'm not clear. It's not clear to me which way the author's taking it. people are more likely to attribute hardship to bad luck or other factors beyond their control. Their prolonged immaturity reflects a disbelief in their own power to improve their circumstances. People who feel powerless might be more inclined to support social and political upheaval, and today's youths are more politically radical than past generations, including baby boomers. (laughs) (laughs) What? More radical than baby boomers. Anyway. In 1970, according to the American Freshman Study, 2.9% of entering college students identified as far left. In 2019, 5.5% identified as far left, an all-time high. Yeah. So she's saying that stuff that's online interactions that are ephemeral, like Zoom, or, um, you know, talking while you're playing video games with your friends, uh, don't have the positive impact of in-person activities, but they aren't terrible. Social media use and general internet use are the worst forms of screen time, especially for teen girls, she's saying. So she was talking about that, and she said social media use and general internet use leads young people down rabbit holes, including virtual places that celebrate anorexia and other modes of self-harm. Which I definitely agree with. Yeah. (laughs) Um, No, but I remember talking to... um, I'm not going to say names. Um, (laughs) One of our younger cousins, who is a teenage girl, a year ago when she was 15, and she was talking about um, using TikTok, and she spends a lot of time on TikTok, and she was using slang that I recognize from online anorexic communities, which is very concerning. Yeah, she was like, oh, I just want to be a skinny legend. And I was like, oh, what? (laughs) What? (laughs) Wow, that's... Yeah. Yeah, Skinny Legend is from a- online anorexic communities. Huh. I would not pick that one up. I don't know if she is, like, participating in online anorexic communities, but she is consuming content that has enough of an overlap with online anorexic communities that they're using the same slang. So that's concerning. At minimum, that's what she's doing. Yeah. Well, that being said, like, a lot of, like, alt-right slang has become, like, satirically used by almost everybody now. Yeah, but anorexia slang doesn't have the same crossover. That's, I know, what I'm saying, but maybe with the kid, I'm hoping anyway, that in this case, that that's where it came from, like someone else making jokes about. Yeah, yeah, e- eating disorder community slang doesn't have the crossover that alt-right slang has. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, yes, like now everyone calls each other cucks, and, and obviously that came from the alt-right. <laughs> yes, I don't even want to say that word. It's just like, I think it's 
Wow. Yeah, but like, and, and I, I'm really not thrilled that that became a crossover uh, no, piece of slang, but everyone is calling, everyone is using the word cuck now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, but like, this is a mainstream term. <laughs> and even, even ones that aren't necessarily alright, but that were popular with the already like, based kind of cut on. <laughs> well, people say, pe- you, I even see people on the left being like, oh, based and pilled. But they mean black pills, but still. <laughs> oh, yes, I'm saying it's like people. I see a lot of people on the left. I see a lot of people on the left too who are using terms like yeah, like more generally, more ironically, hopefully. But like you know, I'm getting. Uh, what was Robert Evans actually? I think he was actually alcohol pills. Or mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm thinking, but. <laughs> it just it, it does make it hard to figure out who's what. I was talking to an SRA organizer about this because he's a bigger white guy with like a bunch of shitty tattoos who likes wearing like Hawaiian shirts. And, you know, obviously he likes guns because he's an SRA organizer. And he's like, yeah, it's just really unfortunate because I know I look like a boogaloo boy. <laughs> he's like, I, I dress like one. I look like one. But I was... You know, I was wearing Hawaiian shirts first, and I don't, and I like them, and I have a lot of them, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's unfortunate. It was interesting to see, like, before, they were very hopeful before Charlottesville, in a way that they hadn't been in a very, very long time. Yeah. It was kind of neat, nice to see that a, bit, a little bit of reality hit them. Yeah, where people were just like, you're not welcome here, and you're never allowed to do this again. Yeah. Well, but then also too is now is like because of that, they're the as long as you the, the slightly toned down version has now become effective mainstream with the Republican Party. Yeah, um, but they're never. I mean, they're not going to be able to at least do that in Charlottesville. Oh yeah. People in Charlottesville know where that is headed. Like you know, people here or like where you live might you know be a little more optimistic or be like, oh, you know, it's like they're just stating their views. Uh, people over here don't really, um, I don't think it's really like a real concern over here just cause it's, so, yeah. it's like one of those things that's like far away. People don't really think about it. People are like, well, we're not, you know, Virginia. So yeah. What's probably going to end up being bigger over here on the West coast, um, especially in this specific area is QAnon. <laughs> um, I already live in a place where anti-vaxxers are rampant. You really can't swing a dead cat without hitting an anti-vaxxer around here. I am constantly getting in anti-vax conversations with people, even though I am not trying to. They just insist on bringing it up because people here like legitimately think it's such a mainstream view that you can just talk about it to whoever you want and they'll agree. Yeah. And this is where I live. And anti-vaxxers are super into QAnon now, too. So it's really just a matter of time until... Actually, it's not even a matter of time until we start getting QAnon politicians. We already fucking have one. Tito Ortiz. Yeah. Amanda Chase is in my connected the woods. Oh, that sucks. Um, she's a QAnon local politician who is tied to several people who are involved in the whole Capitol riot. Um, tied to all kinds of right-wing, uh, far-right militias. And white supremacists. That's that's good. That's 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 great. That's all good stuff. Yes, really into Confederate flags too. That's that's super classy. I will say, at least people who are into Confederate flags in Virginia can uh, like make the dubious claim that it's about heritage. Uh, but when people in California do that, it's like, what are you doing? Like <laughs> this wasn't even this was territory. 
when when the civil war was going on yeah it's uh i mean it's it's the same thing everywhere yeah but it's just like people don't even have like they can't even make the dubious claim that it's about heritage because this was not even part of the united states yeah it's a couple of uh, man jason's friends actually uh i think it was right before the election got arrested when they're trying to like they're planning to raid a polling station and they got like Arrested with uh, a thousand rounds of ammo and a bunch of bombs and shit in their car. Jesus Christ. The ammo itself isn't a shock. So if you shoot guns, carrying a thousand rounds of ammo in your car is actually maybe not that unusual. Carrying that with a bunch of loaded rifles and magazines and bombs to a polling station is pretty unusual, uh, which is what they were doing. Well, having bombs at all is very concerning. Like, no one should have bombs on hand. <laughs> yes. I'm a second amendment absolutist. Mutually assured destruction for all. Uh, which actually sounds pretty welcome at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny also to see how like it's like it's like I mean actually with speech and then the whole Second Amendment thing is like how uh pretty nakedly, even like the uh, a lot of Second Amendment quite like quote folks, the moment in uh left wing or minority groups begin to get involved in gun culture how quickly they reverse all their, like, everybody should own a gun position. Like, oh no, the wrong people are getting guns. It's, it's obvious, like, the, the moment a lot of black gun owners come into the picture, all of a sudden that, like, you see all these people talking about how, well, leftists shouldn't be allowed to own guns. Yeah, they're <laughs> political radicals, so. Um, <laughs> Unlike us, you know, the yeah. members of the 3%. Yes. <laughs> Unlike us, the 3%ers, yes. those leftists are far too radical. <laughs> Uh, you would not believe, by the way, you would not believe how many three percenter stickers I see on people's cars in this fucking county. You would not. Apply those out here. I've seen a handful of uh, full size Confederate flags on on trucks out here, but what I see constantly is three percenter stickers. Some people are dumb enough to do. A lot of people are dumb enough to do that. Yeah, I'm just real concerned. Yeah, QAnon is going to be like the new. I don't know. It's going to be. I think that's the focal point of like the new far right. I feel like that's what it's going to build around. It may not actually even be QAnon. I feel like that's the kind of thing that's just not explicitly Nazi enough to like slide under the radar of conservative, like the, I think the majority yeah. of conservatives. 100%. Because like they do a really good job of kind of presenting intro issues. Like, oh, there are these elite, you know, pedophiles who want to harm children. And maybe even your children, which is like, I mean, with the whole Epstein shit, like, you can't really say that's not true anymore. <laughs> like, no, like, yeah, like, there are, there are clearly, there clearly is at least, there cl- there were at least two pedophiles um, who had ties to some of the most powerful people in the world and were protected by multiple foreign governments. So, yeah, it's not wrong. Not necessarily wrong. Yeah. Like, that is true. (laughs) Are your kids at risk? Probably not. Very unlikely. I don't know. Like, no one here really has to worry about that happening to their kids, I think. Yes, it could technically happen. Probably won't. Yeah, statistically, it's not particularly likely. Yeah, but when you say, you know, the United States government clearly, you know, protects pedophiles, it's like, well, you know, they do. (laughs) So, can't can't argue with you there. (laughs) Yeah. And that's a great jumping off point to get people into the rest of QAnon. Yeah. <laughs> Especially well, we should be like, well, maybe, maybe what if we didn't have these rich, powerful people? <laughs> but uh, 
Yeah, no. Yeah. They're taking the opposite direction. It's really, uh, it was interesting, it's QAnon, not to grab a whole too much, but QAnon is basically the blood libel story, just copied and pasted. 100%. Intolerance. I'm not the, looking at the intolerance and diversity points part, which is where I'm starting to see is like that's where yeah, this person's perspective is starting to to come into view. <laughs> I've literally never seen a safe space in my life. Like I don't. I mean, I guess I have in schools, but yeah, I am really concerned about QAnon. I was listening to QAnon Anonymous, which is a podcast I love today, and they don't seem to be like that concerned. Like they think obviously they're really interested in what's going on and trying to monitor it, but they seem to think that it is petering out, which I don't think that QAnon is petering out. Like, yeah, obviously, um, you know, Trump not winning and continuing to not actually be the real president yeah. <laughs> um, is like disillusioned a lot of people, but I think they're just regrouping and I think it's going to keep getting yeah. bigger. What's what I mean, I don't think it may not be QAnon, but it will basically be that movie. Yeah, and I think it's going to be really bad uh, yeah. here specifically where, where me and John live, which is what I'm concerned about. Yes. Right now, the crazy people have really been more on the East Coast, but as it continues to get mainstreamed, I don't think that's going to be the case. Anyway, now it's uh, the researcher talking about how she monitors her kids' internet time, which I think is actually smart because <laughs> um, I, I think that's smart. She's just limiting it until they're a little older and have better critical thinking skills, which is wise. The embrace of minorities has been accompanied by intolerance of diverse viewpoints. <laughs> the percentage of college students who believe that controversial speakers shouldn't be brought into campus has risen. It's not just a perception, Miss Twanjay says. That's what they say themselves, that they are less comfortable with these situations. That's in part because they have short attention spans. Complex ideas require sustained attention, she says. The idea that you're going to be patient and sit down to read a book for two hours and do nothing else is kind of mind-blowing to an eye jenner. I don't know why she's trying to make iGen a thing. iGen is no. never going to be a thing. Uh, the percentage of high school students who read books or other long-form content every day has dropped uh, precipitously. Are all of these trigger warnings and safe spaces doing this generation a disservice? I think so, Ms. Twenjay says. iGen is both perpetuating this fear and lack of open discussion, and iGen is also a victim of the same atmosphere. <laughs> What she's not acknowledging here is, like, the speakers who are usually pressured to, you know, like, when student bodies protest certain speakers, it's usually because those speakers have, like, said terrible things about the Holocaust yeah. validity, 
or like terrible things about certain minority groups or, you know, sexuality or gender minorities. Yeah. Like, like, I think there's more protests of speakers on college campuses because there are people being more open about their horrible, disgusting viewpoints. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, it's like the, the whole, the whole thing ultimately comes down to like, they, they want to be able to say what they want without anyone challenging them. And if you challenge them suddenly, you're, you can't handle their ideas. Not, not, they just reframe it that way. Yeah. And I think it's also about how boomers can't actually, like, they actually aren't familiar with terms used on, um, like, different message boards, so they don't recognize dog whistles. Yeah. Younger, younger people who understand what these terms mean or what people are really saying when they yeah. uh, mention certain things, like, realize what they're getting at. Yeah, I mean, Tucker Carlson, like, for example, basically spewing, like, I mean, just straight up, like, all right stuff and uh, not even not even hiding it yet you know his show is still on yeah (laughs) and I mean like you know like whatever he can have his show I guess but like you know if if he showed up to if I was a college student and he was showing up to for a talk like you know maybe I would be like no you know we as a student body are paying tuition and tuition is going towards a speaker's fee and this is not acceptable and that's totally yeah like who? Like who is this woman to say that the student body whose tuition is paying for this shit doesn't get to have a say? Yeah, in it? yeah. Like I'm always a believer too that like there shouldn't really be legal controls of speech, which generally not go well. But like just because something's illegal doesn't necessarily make it wrong. You know? <laughs> like to do something yeah. about it. you know Richard Spencer being punched in the face repeatedly. <laughs> People can legally say whatever yeah. they want, but you know if someone says like. Um, you know, or like, I'll just, I'll just use an example that, uh, someone actually said to me on the internet, which is like, I hope you and your ape die in a fire. <laughs> Miscegenation is wrong. <laughs> someone is legally allowed to say that, but I'm allowed to, I'm pretty much allowed to like, I mean, I'm not going to get in a physical fight. I guess I'm, I'm not allowed to get in a physical fight, which I wouldn't do anyway, but like, I'm pretty much allowed to do anything else I want about that. I can record it. I can post it online. I can send it to their employer. I can send it to their parents. And that is a reasonable response to someone saying shit like that, but they don't want to face even those consequences. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, I feel like one of the, you substitute, uh, getting canceled for facing the consequences of my own actions. Um, it would be like 90, at least 90% of the time. <laughs> I can't believe I got canceled for calling a black person the N-word and then telling the cops that he was trying to assault me when he wasn't. Yeah. This is crazy. Yeah. This is so unfair. Freedom of speech. Where's my freedom of speech? Or like, I, I can't believe that I, I can't believe that I got canceled because, um, you know, I said the Holocaust wasn't real. This is so unfair. <laughs> when you say stuff like that there will be consequences to your actions and that has nothing to do with free speech free speech is about how the government you know shouldn't be able to curtail your expressions but the government is curtailing people's expressions look at poor chelsea manning for fuck's sake that's a real free speech issue edward snowden chelsea chelsea manning these are real free speech issues yeah yeah they don't actually give a shit about that no no they do not anyway let's get back to it maybe real adversity for Gen Z will help turn things around. That's the problem with Gen Z. They haven't had enough real adversity. (laughs) (laughs) Look how cushy and grand their lives are and look how bright their futures look. (laughs) They just don't have enough adversity. Anyway, um... 
If you make the case that every generation needs some hardship to grow, the pandemic has been that hardship, Ms. Twenche says. You could make the case that in the long run, Gen Z might actually be better off having gone through the pandemic because it's a huge learning experience for everyone. We've probably all learned to be a little bit more resilient. Uh, and it's the same thing for kids. Like, maybe I can't see my friend, or maybe my basketball game got canceled. At least it's not the whole season getting shut down. And it gives you some perspective and some appreciation for when things are good. Oh, oh no, I just read her bio. It's right underneath this. Ms. Schreier is author of Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. Oh, lovely. Turf. Is he a turf? I'm guessing he's a turf. <laughs> oh my god. I didn't even notice that part when I read it the first time. <laughs> That's hilarious. I also, this is also a point I want to make, like, if, this is not the case, but if there really were teenage girls who were transitioning to men because, um, you know, even though they didn't have real gender dysphoria, which I don't think is the case, but even if that were true, it's like, why would these girls go to such drastic length to not be you know, to not be perceived as girls. Is it maybe because being a girl in this society is difficult <laughs> and terrible? <laughs> like, maybe that could be the cause, more so than transgender people brainwashing teenage girls, which is not happening. I don't even think that's true. I think there's an explosion in, uh, like, people identifying as transgender because people are like, oh my god, I can do that? Holy shit, that's been me the whole time and I just didn't know that that was an option. Yeah, it's... I'm trying to see what else you're doing. Like, mm. you know, when, when gay people be began, like, got more rights, like, more people began publicly identifying as gay, but there weren't more gay people. There were just more people living gay lives because they now could. <laughs> and it's not gay people tricking other people into being gay or brainwashing them. It's just people who were gay and didn't realize that they could just be gay. No one should have to live an inauthentic life. For a bunch of people who say that they don't, you know, that people should be able to do what they want without the government interfering, I don't understand why they have such a problem with transgender people. Transgender people are literally just trying to live, you know, the lives that they want to live without, like, anyone bothering them about that. And they're not hurting anyone else. Like, they're making up all these ways that they're hurting other people, which they're not doing, so they can discriminate against them. Ben, is anyone enjoying this? I know I'm not, and uh, this is Carlos Danger. You're not enjoying the Wall Street Journal. Uh, I'm not enjoying the Wall Street oh, Journal, and shit. I'm not enjoying uh, this uh, incredibly insightful piece by the author of uh, what was it? Irreversible damage: the transgender craze seducing our daughters. Yes. I question her ability to accurately assess what's going on in society <laughs> and what the real problems are that children are facing. <laughs> Oh, uh, wait, you should say your name. Oh, well, yeah, yes. Uh, send off.